I have two, uh, I have three boys. The two older ones, Corbin and Caleb, uh, are often called mini-me's. Uh, they look like little Dan's running around, I've been told. I think they look different, but they all have the same, we all have the same haircut. Uh, we all sort of like the same things. My kids like to imitate me. Uh, and this is somewhat scary. For example, when we are at the lunch table or the dinner table, uh, I really like spicy food. And so I will be putting on jalapenos and I'll be putting on hot sauce and my kids will say, I want some of that. And so I think, you know what? I'm going to teach them a lesson. I'm going to let them have it. And they'll find out that this is way too hot for them. Well, now they eat hot sauce like it's going out of style, right? And I don't know if it's good for them, but, uh, but they'll have jalapenos. And it's, it's no problem at all because they like to imitate they also like to imitate me in just the things I do around the house. And so as I fixed the toilet yesterday, Caleb came in and he's like, I want to wrench. I want to help you, dad. You know, I want to do what you're doing. Uh, one of the cutest things that I love is that Caleb will actually mow the grass with us. Uh, matter of fact, he won't let us mow the grass without him. I think I have a picture. This is a picture of Caleb and I mowing the grass. Uh, Caleb has his little handlebars. I have mine. And uh, for many of you dads, this probably is a, a familiar scene. Um, but Caleb wants to mow the grass with us because he wants to be like dad. He wants to imitate dad. Yesterday, I actually saw this once again at the hayride. If we have that next picture, here's, da- here's Davis and his boys, and they just want to be like dad. They want to wear their aviation sunglasses and try to be cool, right? But kids like to be like their dads. They want to be like their dads. They want to imitate their dads. In this passage today, God calls the church to imitate him, to imitate their heavenly father. Now, this is a high calling. As a matter of fact, this is the highest calling that anyone could possibly get to imitate a holy and righteous and perfect God. But this is exactly what he calls you to, to imitate him, to imitate the God of the universe. Paul literally says, Therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of me. We have these phrases in theology uh, among theologians that are helpful in distincting, this, distinguishing what ways we can and cannot imitate God. There's one group that's called the incommunicable attributes of God. And the incommunicable attributes of God are those things which we cannot duplicate. They're attributes that belong to God alone. And so some of those are things like his eternalness, that he existed from forever past, that he is unchanging. He doesn't learn. He doesn't know. He doesn't grow. He doesn't become more holy. God is. We also know that God is self-existent. He's self-efficient. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient, all-knowing. And so those are the incommunicable attributes. They do not communicate to us. They are not for us. They belong to God alone. But then there are the communicable attributes is what they're called. And those are the things that God shares with us. Those are the things God gives to us that he desires for us to grow in, that we would be like him. We are created in the image of God. And so these are the things that we are supposed to represent, the things that we are supposed to bear fruit on to show 
as ourselves as image bearers of God. And they are things such as righteousness and wisdom and holiness and justice and faithfulness and goodness and mercy and compassion. Because these are the things of God. These are the attributes of God that he has given to us that we might bear fruit in them. And the passage today, Paul adds to this list of the communicable attributes of God, the attributes of God that we are to display as his image bearers and as those who are being redeemed into the image of Jesus Christ. We covered many of these last week at the end of Ephesians 4, that we are to be kind to one another, tender-hearted and forgiving, because that is what God has been to us in Christ Jesus. This week, we're going to very simply look at the love of God, the love of Christ, and how we are to mirror that, how we are supposed to imitate that love towards others, having experienced it on our own. Now, as we are called to imitate God's love, there are a few things that make this very difficult. One of the things is that the definition of love is very difficult to understand, right? I mean, I love Coke and I love my wife, right? Hopefully that's two different types of love, right? I love my dog. I love the Packers. I love my kids. Those are different types of love, right? Hopefully they are. And so what does love mean? And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. What does God mean when he talks about that we should imitate God's love? The second thing that's very difficult is even if we knew what it looked like to love, it is very difficult to do because all of us have been hurt. All of us have been wounded by harsh words, by harsh actions, by people who are unthoughtful. And then how can we possibly love? Because it is so difficult to do sometimes. And so that's what we're going to look at here in Ephesians 5. And we're going to really focus on verses 1 and 2. And we're going to look at the command of love, the demonstration of love, the goal of love, and the power of love. And so those are the things that we're going to look at first. Let's look at the command of love. He says very simply, walk in love. Now, in the New Testament times, there are different types of love. There are different words for love. There there was a book, I can't remember what it was called, but it was talking about the different types of love that are found in the New Testament era. One of those types of love is eros love. And this is referring to passionate love. And so this is like, you know, when you first meet a girl or you first meet a boy and there's the excitement of a new relationship, there's the holding hands, there's the first kiss, and it's very, very exciting and exhilarating, right? But the problem with Eros love is that it is based on the circumstance. It is based on an emotional response, and it is fleeting. This type of love is actually never even mentioned in the New Testament. But it's a type of love that was present in the New Testament era and a love that is present today. I think many times we get in trouble because we expect marriage to be filled with Eros love where we are constantly on cloud nine. And yet the honeymoon wears off and we discover there is a different type of love, a better type of love that God has called us to. There's also phileo love, which is brotherly love. This is where the term Philadelphia comes from, the the city of brotherly love. Love, And this is a good and wonderful gift from God that we would have good friends, good fellowship on this earth. But we'd all know that many times those relationships dissolve. You can probably remember your best friend in elementary school, in high school, in college, the people who maybe stood up at your wedding and you don't really talk to them anymore. Maybe Facebook a little bit, but you don't see them. 
You don't have an intimate relationship with them. And so that is fleeting as well. And the New Testament mentions this, but it's never mentioned as a command as we should do this. The final one is agape love, which many of you have probably heard of. And very simply put, it's much more elaborate than this, but it is unconditional love. Unlike the previous two types of love, this love is not based on the situation. It is not based on your failings. It is based on a commitment of a party to love the other person no matter what. No matter what comes. No matter what happens. It is not just warm fuzzies. But it is the committed, unconditional, unselfish love of one person to another. And this is the love that we have received from God and that we are supposed to give to others. All of our hearts, all of us, long for this agape love. We long for this unconditional love, this unending love, this unceasing love. It is hard to believe that someone would love us even if they knew everything wrong with us. But this is what our souls long for, to be fully known and yet fully loved. I think that's why America has fallen in love with this singer-songwriter, Chris Medina. Chris Medina was a rising artist. And Chris Medina uh, was engaged to a woman. And they had been engaged for about a year and a half. And they were six months out from their engagement, or a couple of months, I don't know exactly. But Chris's fiance got into a horrible car accident. Her name was Juliana, and she became she had brain damage. And it was so severe that she was confined to a wheelchair, and she needed help putting on her clothing, her socks, bathing, all of those things. And Chris, after this happened, committed himself to her, and he said, well, he wrote a song, and these were some of the lyrics of the song. He says, I'm going to be here forevermore. Every single promise I keep, because what kind of guy would I be if I was to leave you when you needed me the most? That's agape love. And it's so amazing, so transforming that the world takes notice. There's this guitarist, I don't know who he is, but his name's Mark Sheehan. And he tweeted after hearing this story, he said, Chris Medina, not only are you a major talent, but you are one in a billion. Stay strong, never waver. This world needs more men like you. Agape love is so rare to see that someone would love someone else so unconditionally that when it happens, people are attracted to it because it's what their heart longs for. It's what their heart desires. God tells us that we are to walk in this agape love, that love should characterize our life. It's actually written about in John 13, verse 34 through 35. Jesus says this, A new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. That's agape love. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Agape love is amazing. Agape love is wonderful. Agape love is rare. But this is the love that God has called us to. You know, as we define love, agape love rises above the rest. And so he calls us, he gives us a command to walk in this agape love. And then he demonstrates this love towards us. Again, in 5.2, If you're following along in your Bible, it says that we should walk in love as Christ loved us 
and gave himself up for us. This little statement tells us a lot about love, a lot about the love that God is calling us to walk in. He first gives us the example of love, of Christ's love, that it was a sacrificial love. You may remember when Jesus walked the earth, as we read in the Gospels, he loved those who society didn't love. He had an unconditional, unending, unrelenting love towards those who were broken. He loved the leper. He loved the tax collector that everyone else hated. Jesus loved the children, which society said they're not that important. He, he loved the bleeding woman that everyone shunned. He loved the demon-possessed man because it was an unconditional love. It was not based on how good they were, how religious they were. He had an unconditional love for them. He had agape love for them. But then we see the supreme example of this love, the supreme example of agape love. When Jesus, as it says here, gave himself up. Jesus Christ, in the greatest expression of his love, went to the cross, took on our sin, took on our failure to love people as we should, and he paid for it in full so that God could show his agape love towards you. We're going to talk about that more later, but this is what Christ has done. This is the example that Christ has given. And so if you want to have a clear definition of love, all you have to do is remember your sin and look to the cross and you will know the love that God is speaking of, the love that God has shown to us and the love that God is calling us to. We also experience love. As you see here, it says, as Christ loved us. This is for those who are in the church, for those who trust in Jesus Christ. We have experienced this love from God. I love how it is put in Galatians 2.20. It says, I live by faith in the Son of God who, agape, loved me and gave himself for me. And so he is also, he's not only the example of love, we have experienced love personally from God through Jesus Christ because he has given himself. James Montgomery Boyce put it this way. He said, the greatest expression of love is not that it gives things or even that it gives up things, but that it gives itself. I'll read that again. The greatest expression of love is not that it gives things or even that it gives up things, but that it gives itself. I remember going to a a group counseling session with a good friend and we're sitting in there and it was, I guess, friend day where you would invite a friend to come with you. And there was probably about a dozen or, or 16 of us in a room. And there was one girl there who was there with her mother. And, and her, her father was not there because he actually worked a couple of states away. And through this discussion, the mother kept defending the dad saying, you know how much your dad loves you, don't you? I mean, he goes away and he works for months and months and months, only coming home on the weekends so that he can give you a new car, so that he can put you through college, so that he can take care and put food on the table. And finally, she said, I don't want my dad's things. I want my dad. I want him. That is the greatest expression of love that I could feel. Many of you have, uh, have felt that in your life, where your dad has thought that his way of loving you is merely by giving you things and not by giving you himself. Maybe even a husband or a wife. They give you things, but they don't give you themselves. 
But this is what Christ had done on the cross. He gave you his very life so that you could feel this unending, unceasing, unrelenting love of God, this agape love. And so we are able to experience it. And then we are called to express that love. 1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know love, and so that's the example, that he laid down his life for us. We have experienced it. And then here's the expression of that love that we are to carry out. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And so as we experience the love of God through Jesus Christ, our natural reaction is to show that agape love to those around us. Not to people who deserve it, but people who don't deserve it. People who are difficult, people who are challenging, people who maybe drain your energy. God says, show this unconditional love to them. He goes on to mention the goal of love. And this is really a wonderful statement if you dig into it and unpack it which we'll do a little bit. But he says that it is a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now he's talking about the Christ, the, the cross, but he's also talking about the sacrifice that he's calling us to, the sacrifice of agape love. See, a sacrifice is, that's talked about here is a sacrifice, an offering devoted to God. And that right here, when we see him pointing to the cross, he's talking about it even coming to the point of death. It's extremely sacrificial. We see uh, this coming out of the Old Testament. In Leviticus 5, 5 through 7, it says, uh, when he realizes his guilt, talking about a man, in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him and for his sin. And so there was a system that the Jews were introduced to in which they were to make a sacrifice of a lamb for their sin. And this was to wash away their sin, to make them ceremonially clean on the outside. And then when Jesus comes to John the Baptist, John the Baptist shouts this amazing phrase. He says that when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him, He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was that sacrifice that God demanded. It was not just one man sacrificing his own lamb. It was God sacrificing his own son for those who would trust in him. That he could show to you his agape love. And so we see this offering, this sacrifice that Christ has given And we are supposed to walk in love like Christ loved. We're supposed to walk in love sacrificing our agendas, sacrificing the things in our lives, sacrificing our time to the point of it maybe even hurting some. Romans 12.1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. That's a crazy phrase, isn't it? That you can be a sacrifice that is living. This is a glorious statement because it means that all of your life can be worshipped to God. All of your life can be sacrificed to God. As you carry out this calling to love others unconditionally. It says this is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Paul goes on to talk about what he says here, refers to the offering as a fragrant offering. That is a very pregnant phrase. This term fragrant is actually two words in the Greek. And what it's literally translated as is a sweet smelling odor. Now what is amazing about this is that it is referring to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That this horrific, treacherous, odious thing of Jesus dying on the cross, to God it was a sweet smelling odor. I mean, when I think of sweet-smelling odor, I think of freshly baked bread, you know, cookies. I think of barbecue. I think of all of these things as they all relate to food, don't they? Sorry. But a sweet-smelling odor. And what he says is Jesus Christ's death on the cross was a sweet-smelling odor to God. How could that be? How could something so horrific... So terrible be a sweet-smelling odor to the God of the universe. And the reason is, is because it was the most pure, most wonderful, most glorious expression of agape love that the world has ever seen. And the object of that love was you. And it was me. And it was towards God. That God could once again, through Jesus Christ, show his agape love, unceasing, unending, unconditional love, to people like you and me who don't deserve it. And so we see that the goal of our sacrifices, and I don't have time, but if you're interested, 2 Corinthians 2.14 and Philippians 4.18 elaborate how we ourselves actually are able in our sacrifices of our time and our efforts and our money. This is a fragrant offering that is sweet smelling to God. That when you do something for someone else, when you show agape love, unconditional love, it is pleasing to God. He enjoys it. The aroma is wonderful to him. And so the goal of love is to please God. And then finally, we look at the foundation of love. And this is so critically important. And it's found there in 5.1. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. As agape children, as children who are loved by the King of Kings, a child who is loved by the God of the universe, a child who has all the love that he could ever want or ever dream of. You see, without this phrase as a beloved child, we would be stuck trying to show this agape love as orphans, as those who do not know God. As a matter of fact, if you go back in Ephesians 2 3, It says that you are either a child of God or you are a child of wrath. And what we learn is that God made us his child and so that he could show us his overwhelming, unceasing, unending love through Jesus Christ. So that our primary identity now is not as an accountant, not as a lawyer, not as a mom, not as a husband, not as a brother and sister, but as a beloved child of God. Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that God doesn't only love you, God actually likes you? That God delights in you? You know, I I think of when my kids wake up in the morning and I have the day off, I am so excited to spend the day with them. Hugs and kisses and tickling and wrestling, playing playing baseball together, going for bike rides. I, I love it. It is my delight. And yet that is just a shadow of your Heavenly Father's love for you. 
in the, in the series that we're looking at in Gospel-Centered Life on Tuesday nights, we're actually looking at, do we operate as someone who knows that we are a child God, or do we operate as if we were an orphan? And one way we distinguish that is if we are able to share agape love, if we are able to love unconditionally, you see, because until we experience God's unconditional love, until it overflows our hearts, we could never love anyone else unconditionally. Because there's always strings attached. We always need something in response. But if we have the love of God in us, then our love tank is full. Our hearts are full. And we do not need someone else's love. We want it. We desire it. It's good. But we have the love of God. We can be content in that. And so if we know the love of God, we can love others. Let me end with this illustration. We, Trish and I have some good friends. Some of you may know them, but they adopt a girl from Russia. And we'll just call her Jane. They adopted this girl, Jane, from Russia. And Jane has, a, has an amazing story. Uh, Jane lived with her alcoholic parents for the first seven years of her life. Um, they had given up on her and decided to send her to an orphanage, which in Russia is a horrific thing to do because you know that the future of that child is probably prostitution and ultimately death because of that. And so they give up this child to the orphanage. And in the orphanage, there are kids that are scrambling. They have protective behaviors. Whenever there's food, they grab it and they hoard it. If they have an item, they hold onto it very tightly because they're afraid. They know that it will be stolen. If anyone shows affection, they cling to them because they are an orphan and they desire it. Well, they adopted this girl, Jane, and many of those same habits came with her. When they would get to the dinner table, she would grab her food and she would hold it to herself. If she ever had a toy or a trinket of any sort, she wouldn't share it with anyone. She was even hesitant to show it to someone because she was afraid that they would steal it. But as she experienced the agape love of a new family, of an earthly father and an earthly mother and an earthly brothers and sister. It was only through that that she was able to love other people. Her mom writes and tells me that she did a 180-degree turn. Not only is she willing to share, she wants to share now because she knows the unconditional love of her parents. Do you know the unconditional love of God? Do you know that he will satisfy all your needs in Christ Jesus? If you know this, if you know that you are a beloved child of God, you can do something that is radical to this world. You can agape love the people around you. Let's pray. Gracious God, this is a high calling. I think in my own mind and in my own heart, I often want to minimize what love looks like so that it is attainable for me, God. But this love that you call us to is far greater than anything we could possibly imagine, anything else that we have experienced on this earth except through you, except from you, God. And we praise you that you have loved us with an unceasing, unending, unconditional heart. Pray that you would let us comprehend that. Let us believe it, that we could love those around us not needing anything in return because we have received all the love we need from you in Christ Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. As we